0: Block Talk Radio Good evening ladies and gentlemen, this is William Bell and welcome, or good afternoon I guess I should say to everyone, this is William Bell with All Things Fulfilled I'd like to welcome you to our broadcast today We are, once again, delighted to have this opportunity to be with you as we study about the end times, the subject of eschatology, which is the study of end time events. Our purpose on this broadcast is to inform you regarding those matters that pertain to the second coming of Christ, the end or the consummation of the age, which most people mistakenly believe to be the end of the world, which uh, is not spoken of in the Bible, but also to talk to you about uh, matters that pertain to resurrection, judgment, and also to bring some sense of clarity and, uh, you might say, common sense in this study of Bible prophecy. Because things can get pretty wild here. Um, When I say that, I mean from the things that you hear going on uh, in the world or regarding this subject. And so for that reason, I wanted to uh, talk about it to uh, clarify some things. And today, uh, we are going to be talking about uh, the subject of four blood moons, John Hagee versus Joel and the Apostles. You might recall John Hagee is the pastor of the Cornerstone Baptist Church in San Antonio, Texas. I think they boast around 2,000 members. He also has about a 1.3 million people uh organization called Qfi or Qfi whichever is the correct pronunciation, which is Christians United for Israel, uh, a powerful lobbying group of Christian Zionists who are pro Israeli in their uh, approach to the Bible as well as to their uh, political agenda and uh, we feel that uh, much of the information that is coming forth from uh, him and the organization regarding The Bible in the end times is simply uh, false, and so we're going to talk about that. Uh, There is a a methodology that's being used, which I think people need to be aware of, and so I want to address some of those things. We're going to try to get a chat room open here, so if you do have some comments that you'd like to make, uh, we would be open to them. You can reach us through calling in on the guest line, which is 347-857-1819. I also like to encourage you to uh, make a note of the Two Guys and a Bible broadcast, which airs on Tuesday nights on Fulfilled Radio. You can look that up on this same uh, station, the same channel, uh, and look up Fulfilled Radio, and that's where I co-host a broadcast with Don Preston. Uh, we do that every Tuesday, and it's a very intense study on Bible prophecy. So if you want to learn more and go into more depth, uh, we'll be doing that. Today we're going to be talking uh, about Four Blood Moons, Joel two thirty-one 31, uh, versus John Hagee. And uh, as I said, he's written this book, which is a, a you know, New York Times bestseller. It is entitled Four Blood Moons, Something is About to Happen. Now, um, it is the position of John Hagee and his book, according to his videos as well as his book, that these four blood moons, which are, um, according to NASA, scheduled for every six months, and this time they're pretty close to falling on or around Jewish festivals, uh, he's arguing that these are signs of the times, that these are a sign of the end times. And therefore, uh, we can expect something to happen. Now, he has denied that he is speaking of anything that relates to the second coming of Christ. However, uh, by stating that these, uh, the last one, which is going to occur somewhere around September the 15th, I believe, 2015, or uh, the end of the month around 2015 um, in September, he says that this is going to uh, fall around the time of the battle of Gog and Magog. Now, uh, while he may be denying that he is saying anything regarding the second coming of Christ, uh, if anyone who is familiar with the scriptures understands, that's the last battle that takes place right before the great white throne judgment in Revelation 20, where the Bible says Christ would come. But our issue today, and because we have a very limited time frame, is to delve into some of the fundamental problems with this particular study. And we're going to uh, cover it uh, in a little bit different way. I also would recommend a video that has been done by David Curtis. You can look it up on YouTube. And uh, it is a response to John Hagee and the Four Blood Moons. So look up uh, Berean Bible Church, uh, David Curtis, Uh, from the Berean Bible Church. He has a very excellent video that I would encourage you to uh, study if you want more information on it. But what I want to do is address some of the uh, just really glaring errors that are made in the book. Uh, The first thing that he does in his book is he cites a passage from Luke chapter 21, verses 27 through 28. As a matter of fact, Uh, When you look at the book and you look at how he begins his study, uh, he cites the scripture. He doesn't say very much about it uh, necessarily, but his point in citing the text is to give credence to the fact that it is mentioning the signs in the sun and in the moon. In other words, the signs in the heavens. Uh, He wants to give some weight to the four blood moons uh, theory that he has proposed related to the end times, and particularly uh, that gives some credibility to the modern state of Israel, the settlement state of Israel. And so we want to address that in terms of what that text says. Now, it's rather interesting that some dispensationalists Christian Zionists have looked at the book of Luke, and they have taken the book of Luke and said that it referred to 70 A.D. One of the reasons is because of the passage in Luke 21, verses 20 through 22, where the Bible says, for these are the days of vengeance, that all things which are written would be fulfilled. Of course, that's verse 22, but in that connection, uh, it's all about when they would see the armies. Jerusalem, surrounding Jerusalem, then they were to know that the destruction or the desolation of Jerusalem was near. And for that reason, Jesus told them that if they were uh, in the mountains, not to return to the city, but if they were in the city, they were to flee to the mountains. And the reason was, he says, was because these are the days of vengeance that all things which are written might be fulfilled. Now, the time frame for the fulfillment of those events was um, stated in verse 32 very clearly, where it says, these, uh, this generation, assuredly I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. Now, interestingly, uh, Hagee doesn't quote that passage when he cites the text In Luke 21, he simply leaves it open as to whether or not um, that text has any temporal significance to it. But what we want to make sure that you understand is that he lifts the verses out of their historical context, where Jesus placed the fulfillment of those events in connection with The destruction of Jerusalem, a historical event that's worldwide, that's known, uh, of course, in all theological circles, happened in 70 A.D. with the destruction of the temple, and that this is the event that would take place within that generation. Now, all of those events are found in Luke chapter 21, where he has lifted a couple of these verses. Uh, For example, in Luke 21 and verse twenty six and also verse uh twenty seven and verse twenty eight if you'll notice in those verses in uh, verse twenty five for example, and there will be signs in the sun in the moon and in the stars and on the earth, distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, men's heart filling them from fear and the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then he quotes, then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to happen, look up, lift up your heads because your redemption draws near. He wants to leave the impression, the statement which says, now when these things begin to happen, look up, lift up your heads because your redemption draws near, that this is an event which takes place in our lifetime. In other words, he is ignoring the historical setting and the context of these passages and projecting them out of the 1st century into the 21st century. Remember once again, the text says in verse 32, assuredly I say to you this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place and we've already pointed out that it was in connection with the surrounding of the city of Jerusalem by the Romans in the first century, and this is what he told his disciples to look for so that they would flee the city and not be entrapped inside its gates when the siege began. Now, it's also important to note that when we look at Mark's account of the same event, And this is found in Matthew 24, Mark chapter 13, as well as Luke 21. Mark identifies the people who were present with Jesus as Peter, James, Andrew, and John. In other words, Jesus had an audience who was contemporary with him. We call that audience relevance, where people need to take note, if you're going to do any study of the Bible We call it the science of hermeneutics, uh, the study of interpreting the Bible. You need to know to whom the Bible is speaking, who is doing the speaking, and about whom or what they are speaking. We have identified that it's Jesus who is speaking. He's speaking to his apostles, to Peter, James, Andrew, and John, and as I said, you can find that in the 13th chapter of Matthew which I mean of Mark which is a parallel chapter to what we have here uh, Mark 13 and verse 3 and then they're talking about the fall of the temple and of course things related to it such as the consummation of the age the end of the Jewish age and the um parousia or presence of Christ now the text also that he quotes in verse 25 of Luke is a text that is taken from Joel chapter 2, where it says, And there will be signs in the sun, in the moon, and in the stars, and on the earth, distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring. That passage or text is also quoted in Matthew chapter 24, verse 29. It, again, is a reference to Joel's prophecy. And then we also have in um, Mark chapter 13 and verse 25, uh, verses 24 and 25. But in those days, after the tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars of heaven will fall and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Now, (laughs) this would have to tell us that the great tribulation is past. number one. Because it says, in those days after the tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. Uh, There are many people who believe that the tribulation is yet future. They do not believe that we're in the tribulation now. And yet, uh, that would mean that the tribulation has to occur sometimes within the next 15 months in order for this sun and moon, according to Hages, um... definition and exegesis interpretation of the text to be fulfilled we're suggesting to you that that is incorrect because just as luke said all of those things would take place in that generation mark says the same thing in verse thirty assuredly i say to you this generation meaning the first century generation he's using the demonstrative pronoun this pointing to something which is near saying uh... this generation will by no means pass away Till all these things take place. And in verse 29, remember again who his audience was. His audience was Peter, James, Andrew, and John. So he tells them, so you also. My point is, we must apply the pronouns to the audience that was present when Jesus made a statement. So he's telling Peter, James, Andrew, and John, you, when you see these things. Now we're not suggesting that all of the apostles lived to see them, but the point is, it is the people in that generation to whom he was addressing it. Now, I would like to go to Joel chapter two, because you know John Hagee is taking this research from NASA, which is not uncommon. These four blood moons, called a tetrad, have appeared several times in the past. I think they record at least eight times. Uh, In uh, the past centuries, over the past 500 years, or past several centuries, hundreds, uh, you know, uh, past millennia, they've happened around eight different times. So it's not anything that is uncommon as far as astronomy is concerned. Many times they happened before Israel was even a nation, and therefore they have nothing to do with Israel. They had nothing to do with uh, Israel in uh, the pre, you know, in our time. Back in uh, when I say our time, I mean in recent times, uh, in the uh, 14th or 15th century. And we're suggesting to you they have nothing to do with prophecy today. They are totally unrelated to anything as far as the Bible prophecy is concerned. Now, the question that we ought to be asking ourselves is, where do we get four blood moons? Where do we get four blood moons as far as the scriptures are concerned? Because Joel tells us that there is only one blood moon. There was only one blood moon. And what we mean by a blood moon is simply a lunar eclipse uh, in, in which the moon has this reddish color. Sometimes it's copper. NASA scientists don't know what color it's going to be, and so they don't predict the color. But for John Hagee, they all need to be red. So we've had one, and they did say it had a sort of copper tint to it. However, uh, we don't know what colors the others are going to be. So he's the one that has to have all of them to be the same color. Now, to be this reddish color, if one or more of them happen to be a different color, then his theory is shot through, but we're going to show you that his theory doesn't even have a leg to stand on uh, in addition to the information we've already uh, supplied to you. In Joel chapter 2, beginning in verse 28, Joel gives us a prophecy of the end times, and he says, "...and it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh." Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, your young men shall see visions, and also on my men servants and on my maidservants I will pour out my spirit in those days, and I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, and the moon into blood. Now notice what the Bible did not say. The Bible did not say, and the four moons into blood. Rather, it said, and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there shall be deliverance, as the Lord has said, among the remnant whom the Lord... uh, the, whom the Lord calls. Now, so understand that Joel only talked about one blood moon. He says, and the moon will be turned into blood. He didn't say four moons will be turned into blood. So where does he get this information? He's taking astronomical signs and imposing biblical meaning to them. That cannot be found in Scripture. God forbids us to use astrology and astro- astronomy, his words. You can't look at the moon or the stars, etc., and uh, anything that's going on, a meteor or whatever, and predict end-time prophecy. He gave us this sign But this sign was for a particular time. Now, how do we know that it was for a particular time? Number one, because he says afterward. Now, what does he mean by the term afterward? He was going to show these signs. Well, if we go to the second chapter of Peter, I'm sorry, of Acts, we will find where Peter quotes from Joel chapter 2. He quotes the identical prophecy. And he says of the prophecy in verse 16, while he is talking to Jews who had come out of every nation under heaven, they were gathered in Jerusalem. And what he says is, but this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. Now, I want to remind you that in Matthew 24 and verse 29, in Mark 13 and verse 25, in Luke chapter 21... And verse 25, those are all parallel texts. Every single one of them is from Joel chapter 2. So please understand that when Peter quotes Joel and tells us when the prophecy would be fulfilled, he is talking about all of the passages in Matthew twenty-four, twenty-nine, Mark thirteen, twenty-five, and Luke twenty-one and verse twenty-five. Now we've already seen, and it's in every single chapter that discusses the Olivet Discourse, in other words, Jesus' discussion about the overthrow of the temple, in every single one of those prophecies, he said, Assuredly I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. Now, they weren't talking about the 21st century generation. They were talking about the generation of people who were then living. So here's what Peter says. Acts 2:16. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. Now, do you think Peter was looking at four blood moons? Do you think he was talking about four blood moons that would take place 21st century? When he says, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. He says, and it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall dream dreams and visions, etc. He's taking the prophet Joel and he's explaining the phenomenon that was occurring in that day, on that very day of Pentecost. Because when they saw the apostles, and heard the apostles speaking in tongues, in their languages, they wanted to know what in the world was the meaning of what was going on. And Peter says, this is what Joel said was going to take place. He quotes Joel in proof of it. He says, "This; these men are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day, but... Notice that, but this is that prophet Joel. Now, when we look at the text in verse 20, after he's told us once again in verse 19, I will show wonders in the heavens above, signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and the awesome day of the Lord. Now, what did Peter say to them? In view of Joel's prophecy, he gave them the message about the crucifixion of Christ, and then he tells them something in verses 39 through 40. He says, for the promise is to you and to your children, and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, now watch this, be saved from this perverse generation. He didn't say be saved from a coming generation. He didn't say be saved from the 21st century generation. He said be saved from this perverse generation. Notice, what did he convict them of? He convicted them of crucifying the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 22, men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in the midst, in your midst, as you yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken and by lawless hands have crucified and put to death. Now, when they heard this, along with the other words that he gave them, the Bible says they were cut to the heart. Watch. When they heard this, They were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? So here are these men on the day of Pentecost that heard the message of the gospel, that saw the apostles and heard them speaking in tongues. They said, what shall we do? And Peter tells them to repent and be baptized. And he tells them that the promise is to you and to your children and therefore be saved from this perverse generation so the message was for their generation it was for people who were then living at that time and thus we cannot take these uh, take this blood moon that Joel talks about which was to occur within their generation and multiply it into four blood moons and then extrapolate it from the first century and place it into the into the 21st century. Now another text that we would like to mention as we wind down is Revelation chapter 6, which is also uh, the same prophecy of Joel that talks about the darkening of the sun and the moon and the stars. And we want you to take note of this. John writes in his book, uh, in the book of Revelation, according to the words revealed to Jesus Christ by his Father through the Spirit, he talks about that great and terrible day of the Lord. And in Revelation chapter 6, beginning at verse 12, he says, "I looked, when he opened the sixth seal, behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon, not the four moons, the moon became black, as, uh, excuse me, became like blood." And the stars of heaven fell to the earth. Now, did we see any stars fall to the earth when this blood moon came on uh, April the 15th, which was really after Passover, which occurred on the 14th? So you got a sign coming after the event. That doesn't make very much sense. But the point is, he says, the stars of the heaven fell to the earth as a fig tree drops its late figs when it is shaken by a mighty wind. Now, that sounds like a lot of figs falling from the tree. That would be a lot of stars falling to the earth. If we were to take this as literal uh, language, it is not. It's a figurative description, which is used often in the Old Testament to talk about the fall of a nation. This is the language that the the, uh, prophets used. But notice what else would happen when this one blood moon would occur. Then the sky receded as a scroll when it is rolled up, and every mountain and island was moved out of its place. Now, how can we identify the time frame in which this event occurred? Well, John tells us in Revelation 1 and verse 1 that these were things which would shortly come to pass. And he says that the time was at hand, Revelation 1, verse 1, and also verse 3. At the end of the book, he says... The time had come for these things to shortly be done, so therefore do not seal the book. Jesus said, I am coming quickly. John was writing of events that would take place in his day. Remember, he was there with Peter, James, John, and Andrew. John, same apostle. And Jesus told him when they saw those things. So how can we identify uh, what's being said here and at what time frame? They would occur. Well, I would encourage you to look at verses 16 through 17. And the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the, com- the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne. And from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath has come. And who is able to stand? Well, where do we find that language? If we turn to Luke chapter 23. In Luke the 23rd chapter. Jesus addressed this to the daughters of Jerusalem. The Bible says that when he was going to Calvary. As they led him away, a great multitude of people followed him, and women also mourned and lamented him. Luke chapter 23, verses 26 through 27. But notice what he says in verse 28. But daughters, or uh, Jesus turning to them and said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. But weep for your children, and uh, weep for yourselves and for your children. Now, who is he telling them to weep? He says, you weep for yourselves. Who are they? They're the people who are watching him carry his cross. They're the people who were gathered the great multitude who were there present with him, he says, daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Why were they weeping? Because he was about to be crucified. He had been beaten half to death. He couldn't even bear up under the weight of his cross. He says, but weep for yourselves and for your children. Now, those women are not living today. That great multitude is not on the earth today. They lived in the first century generation. He says in verse 29, for indeed the days are coming in which they will say, blessed are the barren wombs that never bore and breasts which never nursed. That's taken right out of Matthew 24 when Jesus said, pray that your flight not be in the winter nor on the Sabbath and um, that you are not you know, carrying babies or nursing babies at that time. He was talking to the women that would have difficulty trying to flee the city with little children on their hips and on their backs and in their arms. And so he says, blessed are the barren wombs that never bore and breasts which never suck. And the reason he was saying that is because the siege upon Jerusalem was so great, according to the law and according to historical records by Josephus, That some of the women ate their own children because of the starvation and pestilence that was going on. And that's why he's saying, blessed are the women who never bore, and the breasts which never gave suck. Because they would not have to witness the atrocities that took place at the time of the destruction of Jerusalem. Now watch verse 30. Then they will say, they will begin to say to the mountains, fall on us. And to the hills, cover us, for if they do these things in a greenwood, what will be done in the dry? Jesus addressed that language to people living in the first century. He addressed it to the people who stood at stood in multitudes and watched him bear under the weight of his cross until uh, si, uh, Simon, the Cyrenian had to take it up for him. He said it to who had fled or tried to flee. They were saying to the mountains and to the rocks, fall on us. People who were in Jerusalem, in Judah at that time, but who were unable to get away because they were surrounded by the Romans. They were killed both in the city and out of the city. Revelation chapter 6 says they would say fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne. So when we talk about the prophecy of Joel, Joel 2 verse 31, Joel only prophesied about one blood moon. That one blood moon is quoted in Matthew 24 verse 29, in Mark 13:25, in Luke 21 in verse 25. All of those prophecies said those things would take place before that generation passed away. When Joel's prophecy is quoted in Revelation chapter 6, it's quoted in saying the stars would fall to the earth and so would many other things take place. Among which would be the people running to the rocks and crying out to the rocks in the mountains, saying, fall on us. Jesus said that would happen to the people who saw him carry his cross. They lived in the first century generation. There is no Bible teaching about four blood moons related to Bible prophecy. It was one blood moon that took place within the first century generation. That's our message today. We want to thank you for taking the time to be with us. We look forward to sharing another message with you in the very near future. And, um, for those of you who are aware, you can um, go ahead and share this message with others. We encourage you to um, post it on Facebook and on Twitter, as well as to inform others. Visit our website for more information on the study of eschatology. We're trying to help people understand the fulfillment prophecy which occurred in the first century, and it makes all of this rent. And all of these people who are screaming from the top of their lungs about Jesus is coming soon and about the world is going to end with this chicken little doctrine, the sky is falling, all of these things are contrary to the Bible. Yes, I understand that this may be new to you. You may think that it's unbelievable that such things could be. But we're going to suggest to you that you have faith, trust the word of God, Read it, and read it with understanding, and you will see these time statements that people want to ignore, that they want to explain away, that they want to say are an embarrassment to the entire Bible, are the keys to unlocking the mysteries that some people believe surround the coming of Christ. Jesus has come. He has fulfilled his word. We simply need to believe it and not be misled by four blood moons, or ten blood moons, or any kind of blood moon, but rather to believe what the prophet said. It was one blood moon that was associated with the destruction of Jerusalem. That's the apocalyptic figurative language that the apostles and prophets use uh, to describe the fall of a nation. Jerusalem fell in 70 A.D., never to be reestablished again and therefore we can't associate anything that takes place with the modern settlement of Israel as relating to these biblical prophecies once again thank you for listening I'm William Bell with all things fulfilled saying have a very pleasant afternoon